Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Again, it's so good to be here with everybody on this this happy Mother's Day in 2019. And uh, we want to say again, welcome to all of the moms. And We honor you and we're honored that you are here and you're worshiping with us this morning. Um, and and as I start this message, as I was kind of preparing this message and thinking about it, you know, just transparent moment here for from a pastor. You know, last week was Dedication Sunday. This is Mother's Day today. Next Sunday is Friends Day. And um, it doesn't leave me much room for, like, inspiration. There's a lot of kind of talking and teaching going on in there. To all the church family, man, if you missed Wednesday night, you missed a beautiful move in the presence of God. So make, make Wednesdays a prior, uh, priority during stretches like this to the church family, I'd say, to kind of get refreshed in the spirit. But um, I, I wanted to, to take some time, and I know that everybody's got lunch plans and brunch plans and all that kind of good stuff, you know, waiting. And, and, and I'm between you and brunch. I, I realize that. Um, and so I don't want to take up too much of your time this morning, but I, I do feel like th- there's something, it, it's been weighing on my heart for a while and, and uh, you know, kind of pre-putting together some material for, you know, a teaching series to families for later this year, um, bumped into a concept from a, another pastor that's just so beautiful and so kind of cl- just clarifying and illuminating, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. Um, but I, I think that part of the reason that that it spoke to me so much and that I think it's so valuable and so critical for us this morning is just that the value and the role of mom is, is just so, it's so critical to a home. It's so vital to a home. I mean, there's something about, I mean, you see it just all through our society nowadays. You know, there, there's all this brokenness in families and it just, it just seems like moms all across America are the ones that pick up the slack. And if us husbands are honest, it's probably mom that picks up the slack, whether dad's gone or not. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, you better say that this morning. That's, you know, that needs to be said. But um, there's just this pool in society that just, it, it almost feels like society is kind of growing at odds with, with motherhood. And, and there's the women's equality movement and all of that kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, all of that is good and fine and virtuous and, and needs to be talked about. If there is any oppression based on gender, like let's for sure root that out and, and make sure that we take care of that because women are definitely worthy, equal with men in that, in that respect. We are created in God's image, male and female. Well, I thought I'd get a bigger amen, at least from the ladies in that part. But just, there's just, you know, this pull and this tension that kind of exists now. And, and the home life, especially in areas like the Bay Area, like the home life is just, it's just non-traditional. There are so many working moms now, and, and I get that. And, you know, especially in locations like ours where it's just, it's so expensive to live here. It's ridiculous, y'all. Like, let's all move. Do I have anybody jumping with, I help you pack, you help me pack. Like, let's go. Let's get out of here. It's ridiculous. Uh, But, you know, it's just so expensive. Life is so fast-paced in the Bay Area. Um, You know, and and, and, we had the privilege of going to Atlanta, you know, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And the South is just a different place. 
you know, and, and life is so much slower paced back there. In California, really, it's so fast paced. It's really kind of a harmful pace. And, and working moms, again, you know, especially where we live, so common, just needed to survive financially, needed, um, you know, and so this is not any kind of condemnation on that. That's, that's what this message is not today. But when you're supposed to work and you're supposed to be a mom, there's, there's tension, and, and you got to figure out how to navigate that. And you got to figure out how to solve that. And, and, and it's just this natural pull in just two very different directions. And so today, I just want to talk for a little bit. And it's not going to be a lot of inspiration. And, and honestly, I'm, I confess, I don't even have a ton of Bible for you this morning. But there's a concept that I think if we can get a hold of this, it's going to clarify a lot of things. And it won't solve the tension. It won't take away that kind of wrestling and juggling that you as a working mom might have to do. It won't solve that or take that away. But my hope is that it's going to clarify this morning what is vital. What I want to do is clarify for moms and for dads what absolutely cannot be lost in the tension of trying to figure out that balance between work at home and work and home. And, and then if you're a stay-at-home mom, like you're not left out of this message, I want to help you remember why you're not doing why it seem, you know, what it seems like everybody else, um, every other mom is doing. I want you to see your worth and understand your value, stay-at-home mom, outside of a paycheck because motherhood is so, so incredibly valuable. And just in our society, I mean, dollar, dollar signs get attached to everything. And when you're not bringing home a dollar sign, it can feel like you're not that important. That's just not true. It is just not the case. But the fact is that all of us, you know, working moms, stay-at-home moms, working dads, all of us have more than one calling on our life, more than one job or role. We all have career potential that we want to fill, right? We all, we all have spouses to love and, and kids to love and parenting to get right. I mean, if you work in the church or work for a church or another charitable organization, you have, you know, maybe what you might call your ministry, your purpose with God, your design. You have a calling as a son or a daughter of God. There's that relationship that you have to maintain and you want to make sure that you keep healthy. And in all of these roles, all of these callings are important. Like none of them should be neglected at all. But there's no way that we can ever reach peak potential in any one of these callings without cheating some of our other callings without cheating in some of our other roles, right? And, and you could stay at work till all the work's done. You could take all of the training there is to take. You could take on all of the volunteer projects that there are to take on so that your career would just skyrocket. But if you did that, you'd never go home. So you can't reach peak potential at work without sacrificing at home. And by the same token, you can't, or you could stay home until all the affirmation was poured out of you. You could stay home and love everyone until their emotional cup and bucket is just full and running out. You could do all the chores. You could do all the laundry and find every match for every sock. Yeah, nobody believes that. That's never going to happen. Like you could do every, every to-do on the honey-do list, right? But if you did that, you'd never, ever make it to work. So there's this tension and none of us are ever going to reach that peak potential across all of the categories. And it's not something that we can fix. It's just this reality that we all have to manage because there's just not enough space. There's just not enough time in life. So someone or something is not going to get from you everything that they want to get from you. Some area of life, somebody in your life is not going to get maybe even what they deserve from you. And it certainly won't be what they expect from you. And so what do we do? We try and manage this, right? And usually what we do, our default, is we kind of just default to greasing the squeakiest wheel. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody put out fires? 
Anybody have a fireman's uniform at home, right? You like, that's, that's what we do. Whichever thing right now is shouting our name the loudest, that's what we pay attention to, which means that our kids get really good at saying our name really loud. And sometimes our spouses get really good at saying our names really loud. And we run from fire to fire and we rescue the needy. And really by, by virtue of giving our attention, we, we reward the troublemakers. And if we're not careful, we can actually teach our family that they need a crisis to get our attention. And this is just what we all do. It's what we default to. But once a crisis happens, it's amazing. We will cheat whatever category. We'll cheat whatever role we need to cheat to make sure that we can address the problem of the crisis. But by the time that we do that, we don't get to choose what we're going to cheat. That kind of gets decided for us. And so one of the things that we need to do as Christians, we need to decide up front is, why don't we go ahead and cheat on purpose before we run into a crisis? In other words, instead of allowing a crisis to decide what gets our attention, why not let God's design make the call for us? Why not let God's priorities take precedent? And it might be kind of obvious. I mean, you're in church this morning and I'm a pastor. It might be kind of obvious what I'm going to tell you is a priority. But I believe God's design is for us to prioritize our roles at home. Your priority from God, your directive from God is to prioritize your role as a husband or wife, a mom or dad. And even as we think about that, though, it makes us nervous. Worries and doubts kind of pop up. Well, what if, I, what if I cheat too much at work and it ends up derailing my career? How do I prioritize my home and, 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 and won't that undermine my career goals? And won't, if I undermine my career goals, doesn't that make me more susceptible to layoffs or to losing my job or to not having, making enough money to kind of guarantee the future that I want to guarantee for my, for my family? And those, those are the questions that we have to answer and it's tough to figure those out. It's tough to navigate that tension. But as Christians, when we work on these tough equations, understand we have a variable to add into our math that non-Christians don't have. We have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the living presence of a resurrected Savior who has proved beyond doubt that he is for you. He's on your side. And when we're, when we're willing to prioritize everything by his design, he's willing to step into our confusion. He's willing to step into our tension and bring the peace and the order and the balance that we need. But here's the thing. You know, like I'm saying, you're never going to get rid of this tension. There's always going to be this tension between family and work and, and whatever your work might be. And they're going to collide at times. I mean, we spend roughly a third of our time at work. We spend roughly a third of our time at home with family, and then we spend, unless you're the parent of a small child, roughly a third of our time asleep. And if you're the parent of a small child, that's what life's supposed to look like, and you'll get there someday. But these two arenas of life or spheres of life, the work sphere and, and the family sphere, they're just they're huge. And, and from our work and from our family, we get our, our sense of self-esteem and our ideas of self-worth. Our, our, our home life and our work life affect our quality of life. They affect our mental outlook. They affect how we feel about ourselves and our sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. They affect how we see ourselves within you know, a role within society. And, and if we don't feel that, if we don't understand our place, we feel inadequate. And if we don't understand what we contribute to, the, to our families or to the world around us, we can even feel unnecessary. But what happens, and what God never intended to happen, is these two arenas of life end up competing with each other to define who we are and how valuable we are. And that's where we start finding the tension. 
What am I? Am I a successful person in my career or am I a successful father? There's competition. There's pull. Are you a successful person with a successful career with a name on the door or are you a successful mother with incredible children that you're raising and it seems like there's a tension and it seems like you can't have both. But the drive to be successful at work, it's only equaled by our desire to have a healthy, happy home to go home to. Once work is done, these two parts of our life, these two pieces of life, just compete with each other. But they were never intended to compete with each other. In fact, work came from God. And family came from God. He designed them both. And he designed them both to fit together and to work together. And they should coexist peacefully. So if they're conflicting, if there's tension there, It's more than likely due to operator error, even though we don't want to admit that sometimes, right? Which means we need to go back and check the instruction manual. And today we're going to go back to the beginning. I confess to not having too much Bible today, but today I want to show you some of the Bible that I got. This is the account, Genesis chapter 2, right from the beginning. Genesis 1 kind of lays out all the creation. Genesis 2 starts diving into some of the details. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth And the heavens. And look at this. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and somebody say it with me there was no one to work the ground. Did you catch that? God did not make plant life spring up until there was somebody available to work it, which means that God created humans with a role to play which means that God created humans with purpose and design. And there is fulfillment to be found in work. And God made humans to experience work as part of what it means to be human. Verses 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. So now man's on the scene. Now man's ready to take care of what God has created. And man is there to steward what God has made and to cause it to produce. Verse 15, now the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now this is kind of revolutionary to some of us because we kind of think of, well, you know, man messed up and that's why we have to work. But that's actually not the case. Before sin, there was work. Before the curse, There was work, right? Everything that God had made in Genesis 1 and 2, it's all good at this point. Well, except for one thing we're going to see in a moment. It was all good at this point. And work is there, which means that work is good. And every day, men and women, husbands and wives and fathers and mothers wake up with the sun. And we go to work and we plow our our respective fields and and, and produce a crop of something, whatever it is. Salespeople will sell things and homemakers will get busy about making incredible homes and presidents will lead companies. And some of us love what we do and some of us don't, right? But every day we do when we go to work. But here's the thing, where work is a space for doing, home was given as a space for being, Notice this in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Notice that. It is not good for the man to what? Be alone. Your work you do, but your home life you be. And so he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. For the first time in God's creation, something not good was found. 
And it was found to be not good when work was the only focus. And there was no place and no one for man to spend time with. Aloneness, isolation existed in God's creation. And when God, the God of heaven, the creator God of everything, when he saw the aloneness and when he saw the isolation, God declared over all of his good creation, that, that is not good. That is not good. I have to have a place for man to be, to be. Side note, there's any chauvinists in the room? This is not saying that women were made for man's pleasure. Can I hear an amen from all of the women? All right, there we go. Man, that, again, this is all falling flat. I don't, is everybody nervous? What are, you guys, what are you guys worried about? When you study out that Hebrew word helper, you'll, you'll find out she had everything that he needed. He needed her. I, I love the, the phraseology. I couldn't find it in my notes from the old wedding vows that when woman was created from man, she wasn't taken from his head to rule over him. She wasn't taken from his feet so that he would walk over her, but she was taken from his side next to his heart so that she could be his companion. I, I love that language. I love that language. But work was task-focused. Home was supposed to be people-focused. Work is where we find value by accomplishment, but home is where we find value by relationship. You want me to show up every Sunday ready to tell you something. My family just wants me to show up. What you produce at work is what you are measured by, but your presence at home is what you are measured by, which all points to one very obvious, obvious contrast, that you work on your job, but you love on your family. You work on your job, but you love on your family. And when we get these two things mixed up, when we get these two ideas you know, flipped, that's when conflict pops up and tension and brokenness enter the picture. But originally, there was no conflict between work and family. Then sin came into the world, and they've been in conflict ever since. And it was tension. You think about this. By chapter 4 of Genesis, it was tension with what was produced at work that was brought into a family context that caused the first murder in the Bible. There's tension between work, between family, and between what is valuable at work, undermining what was told was valuable at home, in the family. And ever since the fall, there's been tension in every one of these spheres, in the work sphere and in the family sphere, and then in between them, right? Men were told that they would struggle with their work. Work wasn't going to be easy anymore. Work was going to cause or require the sweat of their brow. brow. Women were told that they were going to struggle and, and have pain in bearing children. Men and women were going to struggle in their relationship with each other. Genesis 3 has this you know, interesting verse that's just so true that the man will rule over his wife and her desire will be to rule over the man. And again, that's where kind of the chauvinists and the sexists can come in there and say, well, there you go. Men are supposed to rule over the women. And it sounds kind of sexist until you get to Calvary. And then you see what God thought ruling over someone looked like. And suddenly you, re suddenly you realize that it's actually the men holding, holding the short straw. But the conflict introduced within each one of these spheres naturally spills over and it creates conflict, not just within the spheres, but between the two spheres. And creating a healthy family is hard because we're all selfish. And making a successful career is tough because of competition between the players in the workplace. And trying to solve either of those tensions, it would take all of our time and all of our efforts, and we'd still probably come up short. But we don't even have the luxury of giving all our time and all of our attention to try and solve the tension that exists in the work sphere or the home sphere. And so we wrestle at home, and we wrestle with things at work, and because that's not hard enough, we wrestle between the two things as well. 
And then there's this weird thing that happens. And you'd think it would be so easy to kind of figure out which one should take priority. But we have this deal where sometimes our hearts don't lean towards prioritizing home. Our hearts don't always lean towards prioritizing home or family over our work. Why is it so hard to feel content with our identity at home? Home is where we're embraced. People get laid off at work, but we're indispensable at home. You know, especially, like I said, especially the mother role. And at home, we fill roles that no one else can feel and, or fill. And, and at home, we usually have our needs met at the deepest emotional level. And besides, isn't the goal of work to produce enough something so that we can go home and create and sustain that home? And it looks so easy on paper, but there's something about a career, especially in today's society, especially in the narrative that's out there with women's equality and women's career and these kinds of things and, and, and this devaluing of, of the mom role and, and motherhood. There's something that's it's just so captivating about a career because the rewards are tangible and the name on the door is easy to read, right? And, and the progress is easily marked out. And there's a danger, though, if we're not careful, there's this danger that before long we're not just working to support our family but our much less virtuous ego, because we like the way we feel when we accomplish things at work. We like people knowing us as someone who gets things done, who produces something, who brings home the bacon or at least brings home a huge paycheck, right? Someone who drives a nice car and lives in the right neighborhood. And, and this isn't just for working moms and dads. This is, this is, just for, this is for stay-at-home moms and dads as well. Maybe you're uncomfortable with telling people that you're not in the workforce. Why? Why would you be uncomfortable with that? Or maybe your sense of identity. Maybe you measure your worth by how much you do and how well you're organized and how clean your home is instead of your relationship, that you, the relationships that you build within that home. But no matter the situation, here's the bottom line of it all. Here's where we're going with all of this. No matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, God's priority and what I think God is trying to teach us is that our goal should be to embrace first, to make priority our role as mom or dad, to see the intrinsic value and the intrinsic role or worth in the role of mother and father, to know and understand your value to your children, your value to your home, your value to your spouse. And for some of us, quite frankly, our greatest accomplishment may not be something that we do, but someone that we raise. I mean, think about work. Sometimes work just feels like we're on a treadmill. Sometimes work just feels like we're on a hamster wheel. What if we get to the end of our career and we never produce anything meaningful at work? Maybe the, the, the biggest accomplishment that we will have in our life will be the young ones that we raise. There's a role that's unique to you as mom or as dad. With all this tension on you because of work, this is something that you'll never get from work. With all of the tension that's on you and all of the demands from your other callings, there is one thing in your life that only you can do. And there is only one place that you can do it, and that is in your home. That is what's most important. So there you go. Jared's telling you, quit your job. Shutting down the service. Musicians come. Let's take an offering. We're all good. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. You won't find peace in giving in to one or, or, or the other of those spheres of life. That's not what happened in the beginning. That's not the way God designed it. I'm not saying ditch your job or give up on your career goals. But what I am saying is you will only find peace. You will only find a sense of accomplishment and, and settledness in your, in your soul when you choose to manage the tension in those spheres and between those spheres by appealing to God's priorities. 
There's nothing God-honoring about the person that's a workaholic and neglects their family, but neither is there anything God-honoring in those that just don't provide for their families and their family's future. Both are necessary. Both spheres of life were given to us, created by God. And as we wrestle with the tension between these two things, as we wrestle with the struggle of deciding where to give the best parts of ourselves and the most of ourselves, we bump into this question that kind of rises naturally, that who feels less important because of my priorities? Somebody's going to have to feel less important. Someone's going to have to feel like second choice. So who feels less important because of my priorities? Does my family feel less important? Or does my boss know that family comes first for me? Does family feel less important because I'm never really available, because I'm never really there? Does work know there are certain hours when you can't call me, or if you do, I'm just not going to answer? We're going to make someone feel less important, but if we can gain a God perspective, we can make sure that the right people hear the right message by what we give ourselves to. And again, I'm telling you this morning, putting it out there from the beginning, God's, God's design, God's wish for your life is to give priority to your family to your role as mom or dad. But when we end up sending the wrong message, because we do this sometimes, we end up sending the wrong message to our family by our choices and by our calendars. You know, when that happens, we're really quick to defend ourselves, aren't we? It was a really important meeting. I had to be there. Nobody else could be there. My job was on the line. Of course I love my family. I wouldn't be working so much if I didn't love my family. Of course. They're the reason that I'm in the grind. And I know I need to do better as a mom or better as a dad. I know I need to try a little bit harder, but I just got to finish this one project. There's just this one other thing that's coming up. One more accomplishment, one more career goal that I need to achieve, right? And we trick ourselves, we trick ourselves by giving ourselves the credit of good intentions. We feel bad, but we know we feel bad. So that's got to count for something, right? I'm aware that my priorities say the wrong things to my family, but I'm working on a fix. There's something coming, and so since I know there's a fix a coming, well, then I'm okay. But good intentions, come on, somebody, good intentions never accomplish anything. Good intentions never get anything done. And in the world of relationships, your good intentions will never close the distance that you have created. In the world of good intentions, your good intention, or in the world of relationships, your good intentions will never heal the wounds that you have inflicted. And then we as Christians, for us, sometimes it gets even worse because we're Christians and we have good intentions, but we also have prayer. So we can just pray for our families and everything will be better. Can I hear it? No, don't say amen to that. We pray, we pray prayers along the lines of this, like, God, I've been so busy and haven't spent much time with my family. And when I do come home, God, I know that sometimes I'm too tired to give myself to my family. But, Lord, you can love them in my absence. Lord, you watch over my children while I am not around. Lord, you know how much I love them. Help them to understand how much I love them. And if we're not careful, we can ask God to fill a void at home while we fill a position at work. We can ask God to take care of what he created us to do while we go off in the morning and do something that a thousand others could do as good as us or better. And our prayer ends up with some version of this. Dear God, please do what only I was made to do while I go do what a thousand others could do just as well or better. 
pretty convicting, isn't it? Anybody ever prayed that kind of, come on, confession time, lift up, no, don't lift up your hands. Everybody's still so quiet this morning. Punch your neighbor on your arm, could you real quick? No, still nobody laughing, no chuckles. Somebody give me a courtesy chuckle. That works better than my real jokes. <laughs> Do that more often. But listen, you will never hear stories of adults who had an absent father who say, you know, yeah, my dad was never around, but God filled in the gaps. You'll never hear anyone say, my dad was never around, but there's no emotional damage because God was there. There's no relational conflict. There's never been a mom or dad to say, my husband or my wife, they're not really around and they don't really prioritize our relationship or prioritize our family, but God makes the difference and we're doing okay without him. We're doing okay without her. Listen, your family wants to feel like your priority. You can tell your family that they are your priority but unless they feel like your priority, they won't believe you. You can say you love them and their priority, they're your priority in your heart, but the problem is they can't see your heart. All our kids see and all our spouses see are our calendars, and we're all busy. And being busy isn't wrong, but being busy requires us to sit down and to make intentional priorities, and that's where family has to take the priority over work. And listen, this is the thing. Your family already knows how busy you are. Your family gets it. They understand it. And so when you, as a busy person, spend the priority, the, 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 the first part of your time, the, the most important part of your days and your hours with your family, it elevates them because they know how busy you are. And suddenly they do feel valued and they do feel worth and they do feel like you love them and that you're, they're more important to you than anything else. And so just by putting them first, you can choose to let your family know exactly how much you love them. But they can't see your heart. All they can see is your calendar. And moms, this goes for you too. And moms, you got to know this. You're the bomb. Moms, y'all are amazing. Moms, you run the world and we all know it. Like, without you, it all falls apart. And many of the moms here, probably most of the moms here, have careers as well as home life to manage. Some of the moms here, you're, you're doing this solo, which just makes you an just a superhuman. I don't know how you do it. You're a hero. I, I just can't believe it. Moms, you have to know how important your role is. Mom, you have to know just how valuable you are. You have to know, Mom, that there is nothing that you will do in this lifetime that is more important than your calling as a mom. There is no job you will take. There is no position that you will fill that will ever be more important than your job and your role as a mom. Moms, you're amazing. You're an amazing person. And on top of that, your spit has the same chemical composition as 409. Right? Anybody's, anybody's mom's spit, like, clean up any stain? Your spit, is, it's like a substitute for hairspray. Any, anybody ever had their mom lick and then put down the standing up hair? No? My mom used to just bypass the thumb and just spit on her head and put it down. Was, no, she didn't do that. She didn't do that. It never ceases to amaze me at home. This is crazy. Hey, Caleb, Caleb's always hungry. Caleb, are you in here, Caleb? 
I'm going to take you to lunch soon, son. Don't worry. Caleb's always hungry. It never ceases to amaze me. Caleb goes, Dad, I'm hungry. Because that's the way Caleb talks. Dad, I'm hungry. Like, yeah, you know, me too. What are you thinking? A burger, a pizza? No, Dad, Dad, I'm hungry. When's mom going to be home? Like, I'm standing right here. Like, you know, my mom's not here. Um, I can remember growing up, when we were growing up, like, we were broke. We were so broke. I, I actually, I mean, I'm sure my parents would. I wouldn't trade it for anything. We had, a, Jason and I talk all the time. We had an incredible uh, childhood. We ran the neighborhood. It was back when kids could be outside, you know, whatever, just whenever, all the time. And, like, we were just home and <clears throat> outside the home all the time. And mom and dad did work a lot, and dad was building the church and all that stuff. But I can remember growing up, we were so broke. Mom could make bologna sandwiches taste so good. So good. Like, you know, but sometimes you buy the bologna with the wax, you know, like after you're done eating, you get the wax film on the roof of your mouth. That was never good. So we always wanted mom to be able to afford the good bologna, you know. The, but mom can make bologna sandwiches taste so good. Mom's oatmeal in the morning. Nobody can make oatmeal like my mom can make oatmeal. I don't know what it is. There's just some, I can remember my mom always cleaning my room. Like she taught us to clean it, but we never cleaned it good enough for mom. It was just it just never happened. Mom was always cleaning my room. You know, we'd clean. She'd come behind us with the lemon pledge and sprinkle that powder on the carpet and vacuum it all up. You guys know what I'm talking about. Just smells, smells like home in my room. Even my room with gym socks still smelled like home. And and then one day cleaning my room, she found my gangster rap mixtape behind my dresser. So I wasn't so happy about her cleaning my room after after that, but. Then my mom, <laughs> I can remember my mom worked for a private investigator for a while. And uh, that sounds really cool, especially when you're young. You know, like I always had the picture of my mom going to work and putting on her like her Sherlock Holmes hat, you know, carrying around a, a magnifying glass. It was nothing quite so glamorous. My mom used to have to lug around a copy machine and go to like prisons and, and copy, uh, you know, prisoners' documents and files for the different, you know, whatever. I don't know what all she did. I know she did that. And my mom was five foot one and a hundred and none of your business pounds. And I can just, I can remember her. She carried a copy machine in the trunk of our car and would pick up that copy machine, put it on her hip. Like she, you know, she had a lot of practice with me actually carrying heavy things on her hip, but she used to carry that in and walk through the prison, you know, and all the prisoners to get to different places and all. I get, I mean, I, I'm sure somebody said something to her at one time. They're so lucky the guards were there. I mean, my mom, I'm sure, would have grabbed that dude by the ear, right, like she used to do to us, hit him over the head with the ivory-handled hairbrush she used to whack us on the head with, and every time she'd hit us on the head, well, with Jason, it would make a hollow sound, and just, I know she would have made those dudes wash out their mouth with prison soap, like, mama didn't play, mama didn't play, I mean, this has nothing to do with parenting, but this, this is one of my favorite stories of my mom, uh, I don't want you to get the idea that my parents fought a lot, and we'll just go with that. But one day, my parents were fighting, you know, as they rarely did, and uh, mom was cooking something, and she had a ketchup bottle, big Heinz ketchup bottle, and it was, you know, when the, the bottles first came out, they make the funny noise when you squeeze them? Anybody know what I'm talking about, the funny? 
okay? Yeah, thank you, Sindra. And so they're fighting in the kitchen, and my dad says something, and he's got his office in the back bedroom of our house back there, and, and you know, it's got his desk and his bookcases with all his theological books to tell everybody how smart he is. And, and, you know, he's fighting with mom, and she got mad at him, and he just walked off. He just, you know, went back to his office. Well, she followed him all the way down the hall with that ketchup bottle in her hand. She went right up to his desk with all of his knickknacks and books and, you know, theological things spread all over, and she went, and just put ketchup all over, all over dad's desk. And then just like dropped the bottle and walked out of the room like, that's mom. That's mom. She'll kick your tail, man. Just that's mom. But I can remember my mom praying for me too. I can remember my mom crying out to God and saying my name. And she used to pray things like this. And this is an actual prayer My mom has prayed probably a million times over me. God, if they're not going to live for you when they're old, please kill them now. (laughs) Mama didn't play. Telling you, that's a prayer my mom prayed, and she says she still prays, so I don't know. but, But mom, moms, there's nobody like you. Moms, there's nobody like you. You have to know how valuable you are. You have to know how critical your role is. You have to know that if not the world, certainly our world would fall apart without you. Your mom, your mom, designed and created by God, given the stewardship of hearts, of homes, big hearts and little hearts, kids with runny noses and all that other junk. Your mom, you're incredible. You're loved. We appreciate you and we honor you. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? And if I could have you take away one thing today, it'd be this, and I tried to make it rhyme. The role in life only you can be should always be the priority. The role in life that only you can be, mom, should always be the priority. When you're wrestling about taking the overtime, when you're wrestling about going in or doing the extra project or being something somewhere else, the role in life that only you can be should always be the priority. Because every role besides your role as mom is something that someone else could do. Every role that you fill besides your role as mom is a role that someone else eventually will do and will fill. But you will be the only mom they'll ever have. Your face will be the only face that comes to their mind when they hear mama. If you walk out that door and quit your job, they'll have your job posted online before you leave the parking lot. They'll have somebody else sitting at your desk before you're sitting on your couch. But you're the only mom they're ever going to have. You're the only one they're ever going to have. The role in life that only you can be should always be the priority. Can I hear one more amen? And now the musicians really are coming this morning. So this morning, again, I'm not here to give you a solution. It's just always going to exist. But I wanted to shine a light on the tension that's going to exist. I just wanted to remind us parents, and really this is for both parents, I wanted to remind us of what and who is most important, of what role is most important. And regardless of how happy the home is now, if you take what's meant for your kids and you give it to somebody else, it's a withdrawal. And over time, if you keep making withdrawals without putting the deposits back to refill what you have taken, there's going to be tension in the home. And when there's tension in the home, suddenly you don't want to go home. And when you don't want to go home, you'll look for every reason possible to stay 
Oh wait, it's tough work managing that tension and those deposits and the withdrawals, but that's something that only you can do. It's something that God made you to do. And moms, you got this. You can do this. And here's the beautiful thing. Moms, you don't have to do this on your own. There is something about a praying mom. There is something about the prayers of a mother that have power and, and influence. I'm just convinced of that I don't have Bible for you. I have no theology for you. I just, my own personal experience. There's something about your prayers that just, they're unequaled. They are, they are unrivaled. And, and if you're a Jesus follower, mom, you don't have to do this alone. And when it comes to this fear of drawing the line in different places and, and sacrificing some things that seem to be screaming the loudest and, and instead keeping God's priorities, you know, your priorities, you have an assurance. You have an assurance from God that he is on your side. And when you surrender your priorities to the Father's will, God takes responsibility for the outcome of your decisions. When you put things in the order that God wants you to, God takes responsibility for the outcomes. It's not up to you to make it happen. It's up to him to stay true to his word. It's up to him to stay true to his promise. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. And he has proven, this God of yours, this Savior of yours, has proven beyond doubt, he's proven beyond question that he's for you that he sees you and that he loves you. The cross proves beyond doubt that he doesn't want anything from you. He wants only what's best for you. And these words that Jesus spoke at the end of Matthew chapter 11 are some of my favorite words that he ever spoke. And this morning to every mom, to, to anybody in this room, anybody that's tired of wrestling with the tension and trying to figure out home and work and the, the conflict between the two, I would point you to Matthew 11 and what Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Come on, mom. Doesn't that sound so good? I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find, there it is again, you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your soul. That deep down part, that part that struggles with identity and wants to know that you're valuable and that you have worth. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that what we want? We want life to be a little bit lighter. We want for what we carry to be a little bit easier, to find a little bit of rest at the end of the day. He's calling out. He's offering it to you. Lay it down. He's telling you, give it up. Give it over and take my yoke on you. Learn from me and what I say about you. Pick up what he asks you to carry Lay down the weights that everyone else is trying to put on you. Learn of him because he's gentle, he's humble, and he loves you beyond question. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.